right where you're there in Second uh, Samuel chapter number 20. And I want you to look down at verse number 1. The Bible says, and there happened to be there a man of Belial. I want you to notice that word there, Belial, whose name was Sheba. Tonight we're going to look at this character in 2 Samuel chapter 20 of Sheba. And uh, we're, we're not going to look at Joab tonight. He, there's, there's some said about him in this chapter. And we're probably next week we're going to uh, do a whole sermon on the life of Joab. And we'll go start from the beginning. I've been kind of ignoring Joab as much as I can because uh, I know I wanted to do just kind of one sermon to, to encompass his life. And we'll do that next week. But here we see this character, Sheba, and he's described as a man of Belial. Now I want to uh, explain to you what this term Belial or this name Belial is. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel 20. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Mark just real quickly in the New Testament. You've got Matthew and then you've got the book of Mark. And what I want you to understand is Belial is a false god. All throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, you'll find many different names for false gods. But Belial is special in the way that it's not just a false god. Uh, and we know from Paul's teachings that false gods are just uh, representations of devils. But Belial himself is actually a representation of, of Satan. Uh, of not just a devil, but the devil, not uh, of Satan himself. And I, I want to show that to you from Scripture just real quickly so you can get that context. Uh, are you there in Mark chapter 3? Look down at verse number 22. you got Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 3 and verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said. Now these are the scribes talking to Jesus. They said, he, talking about Jesus, hath, once you notice, Beelzebub. Now, Belial, uh, throughout the Bible, there's different ways of saying his name or different things, and it, it all has kind of the same root word. Come, you, you've heard of Baal, okay? You've, here you see Beelzebub. In 2 Samuel, we saw Belial. It's all talking about the same God. It's that B-E-E-L or B-E-L-I-A-L. And notice what it says. He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils. Do you see that? So who's Beelzebub? He's the prince of the devils. They're saying that Jesus has Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Now notice what Jesus said in verse 23. And he called unto him and said unto them in parables. He's responding to what they said. They just said, you have Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils are you able to cast out devils. And Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? So you notice how Jesus just told us who Beelzebub is? Beelzebub is Satan. Because he said, you're casting out devils by the prince of the devils, by Beelzebub. And he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. You're there in Mark. Now, before you go there, keep your place in Mark. Because we're going to come back, not to Mark, but to Matthew. We're going to be right in that area. So make sure you can get there quickly. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And look at verse number 14. So we see Beelzebub. It comes from the same Root words, it's referring to the same God as Baal, as uh, Belial. And here we see that Jesus equated him to Satan. They said, they called him the prince of the devils. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, famous passage, you know it. Uh, Jesus, uh, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So he begins to have this, this you know, he's, he's contrasting these things. He said, what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, notice, hath Christ with Belial? 
All right? So he's talking about Satan, the devil, and, and or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. Let me show you another proof that, uh, that, that, this, is, uh, that, that this is referring to, to Satan. Go, go, to, go to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13, and let me show you just real quickly uh, the parable of the tares. And I want you to understand that uh, Belial basically equals Satan, or Beelzebub equals Satan, and the children of Belial are the children of Satan. They're the children of the devil. Matthew 13 and verse 24. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24, first book in the New Testament. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in a field. So you got a parable here? There's a field, there's a man that is sowing good seed, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in the field from whence then hath it tares. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together unto the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye uh, together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into thy barn. So I want you to understand the parable, all right? You've got a man who sowed a field. He's got good seed. He's sowing wheat in the field. But while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares in the field. When they sprung up, they were able to see, hey, some of this is good wheat, some of this is tares. They asked, they asked, do you want us to go and pull out the tares? He said, no, if you pull out the tares, you might pull up some of the wheat. He said, let's wait until the harvest. Now, go, go down, you're there in Matthew 13, go down to verse number 37, same chapter. He gives the explanation of the parable. Matthew 13, verse 37, knows what he says. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So he's telling us, you know, what all these, Jesus didn't do this for all the parables, but there were some parables where he specifically told us, this represents this, this represents this, and he does that. He says, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. You see that? He said, the tares are the children of the wicked one. Notice verse 39, the enemy that sowed them, the enemy that sowed the tares, is the devil. Do you see that? The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So here's what I want you to see. In this parable, Jesus teaches that the wicked one, or the devil, sows tares among the wheat. Do you understand that? The Son of Man was a, good, was a man that was sowing the good seed. The seed was the Word of God. But when there's wheat, which represents the children of the kingdom, the believers, among the, the children of the kingdom, you're also going to have tares, which are the children of the wicked one, which are the children of the devil. See, just like God has children, the devil has children. But I want you to notice that Jesus teaches this parable that often you will find the children of the devil amongst the children of the kingdom. Now, with that in mind, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 20. Look at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. I want you to notice the wording that the chapter begins with. It says, And there happened 
to be there a man of Belial. They're having a meeting. Now, this is, this is an Old Testament, so it's not a New Testament church, but it's the congregation of the children of Israel. David is coming back as king, and the whole congregation and the men are gathered together. And amongst those, because in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel were God's people. They were God's children. They were the children of Israel. They were the ones that God had chosen. They had the oracles of God. They had salvation. You know, at this time, they're not in, in, in apostasy like the, the religion of the Pharisees. Obviously, David is the king. But among them, there happened to be there a man of Belial, which is exactly what Jesus taught. There's always tares amongst the wheat. And you need to, be, you need to understand this because, you know, you say, how does this apply in church? In, church, in our church world, it applies this way, that amongst us, amongst the wheat, there's going to be tares. There's going to be not just unbelievers, but children of Belial, children of the devil, children of the wicked one that are sown amongst us, and we might not even be able to tell, really, until it's done. Until it's too late, you know, until the, the harvest has gone up and, and we need to be weary of those things. I've said this before as a joke, but, it, but it, I don't, it's not really a joke. Even Jesus with his 12 had Judas Iscariot, who was a devil, who did not believe, who, was the, who, who, who ended up betraying him. And look, you got to understand this. Within our own church, there will be people that come in and they will act like us and look like us. And, talk. and I'm not preaching this so you have some sort of a suspicious, you know, we shouldn't be coming to church and just suspecting everyone. And, you know, are you a child of Belial? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But you need to realize, because here's what I've noticed. Sometimes people come into church and they betray us, or they hurt us, or they spread false doctrine, or they rebel. And that's what's happening here, where this child of Belial, Sheba, is rebelling and causing problems, and he's dealt with. And sometimes in church life, we have to deal with that. And people will be like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you're so mean to that person, or you kicked those people out. I can't believe. But listen to me. You need to understand that among the wheat, there will always be tares. And they're there to cause problems. While men slept, the Bible says, while we weren't paying attention, while our guard was down, they came in unawares. And, and it's just something we need to deal with. It's just a fact of life. So don't get discouraged. You think, well, I can't believe that person. They were like, it's just, it's just part of the Christian life, part of the uh, 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 ministry. It's part of being in uh, amongst God's people. You're going to have a Jewish Iscariot running around every once in a while looking for an opportunity to betray and to hurt. And you know what? That ought not discourage all of us. It didn't discourage Jesus. He knew it the whole time, and he continued with his ministry. And when he was found out, they went on. We're there in 2 Samuel chapter 20. So let's talk about what do you do? What do you do with these Belials? And, and I, I want to give you three points tonight, just real quickly. Uh, look down at verse number 1. Notice what it says. And there happened to be there a man of Belial, okay, Beelzebub, Satan, the devil, the prince of the devils whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite, and he blew a trumpet and said, now notice what he says, he says, we have no part in David. Now if you remember from the last chapter, in the last chapter we saw the human tendency of wanting to put a man on a pedestal, and they're arguing, you know, they're saying, uh, the, 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 the nine tribes were arguing against the two tribes, or Judah, and, and, and they said, we have nine parts in, in David, and, and we should be able to cross the Jordan with him. But here you got the son of Belial, who's amongst them, 
waiting for the opportunity to bring rebellion against David. And he says, we have no part in David. Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, O Israel. Look at verse 2. So every man of Israel went up from after, that means away from, David, and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, but the men of Judah gave unto their king from Jordan, even unto Jerusalem. I want you to notice that when rebellion comes, it comes from a demonic influence. It was this guy who was influenced by, uh, by Belial. It was this guy who was a child of Belial. And I thought about doing this, and I'm not going to do this tonight, and I'll, I'll, I'll do this sometime, maybe here soon. I'll preach an entire sermon where we'll go through every mention of the children of Belial. They're mentioned about 16 times in the Bible. You've got the sons of Belial, the daughters of Belial, the children of Belial, and you can see all the characteristics of these people and the things that they do. But here, I want you to notice one of the characteristics is that they bring rebellion. They bring an attitude. And even the Bible tells us in Jude, and the Bible tells us in, in first in, uh, Peter, and it talks about these, these people that will come in unawares, and what will they do? They'll, they'll complain. What will they do? They'll despise government, what the Bible says, referring to the authority structure that God gave. They're, they're going to be anti uh, 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 the, the leadership and the rule. And here we see the son of Belial, who's leading a rebellion against the legitimate authority that God had placed there in Israel, Who's David? Let me show you, give you another example. You're there in 2 Samuel 20. Keep your place there. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 10. 1 Samuel chapter number 20. If you study the children of Belial, they're always, they're always trying to uh, go against authority. Now let me make this clear before, before I go any further, okay? The Bible teaches, for example, if you study Romans 13, the Bible teaches that we are to obey the higher powers, Okay? Paul, Peter, excuse me, said in the book of Acts, when the government came in and said, you're not allowed to preach the gospel, he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. There is an authority structure, all right? So if you ever have a human authority, God-ordained human authority, we talked about that, I think, last week. Uh, we're, uh, yeah, I think it was last week. We are talking about the fact that God gave you a pastor. And God, uh, ladies, if you're married, he gave you a husband. And he's supposed to be your leader. You're supposed to submit to him. And children, God gave you parents. And maybe at work, you have a boss. And at church, you have a pastor. And, and you know what? We do have a government. And we do have officials in that sense. And God wants us to submit to legitimate authority. But listen to me. Whenever authority tells you to do something that goes against what God has told you, at that point, that authority is no longer legitimate. So I don't want you to think that I'm telling you, you got to obey your authority no matter what. No, if the government tells you to do something that goes against the word of God, we obey God rather than men. Amen. And that's what Romans 13 teaches. It teaches that we are to submit to the supreme authority, to the highest authority. So ladies, you ought to submit to the authority of your, of your husband. I believe the Bible when it says that you are to submit in all things. Anything he asks you to do, you ought to do it. If he wants the forks in a certain place and he wants the towels folded in a certain way and he, you know, if he's dumb enough to bring up those types of, you know, I don't do that at home. I'm just like, whatever, honey, you do whatever you want. I don't really care. As long as I get three meals a day, we're good, you know. But, you know, if your husband wants certain things done, hey, do it. But if your husband's asking you to sin against God, then you don't have to submit to his authority because we obey God rather than men. Children, obey your parents. The Bible says to obey your parents. 
for, uh, and, and you'll receive a promise. You'll receive blessings from God. But if your parents are asking you to do something that's wrong, on Sunday night we'll be talking about the story of Jacob and Esau and where his mother was causing, uh, tempting Jacob to sin against God. Hey, if your parents are asking you to do something that's wrong, you don't have to submit to that authority, all right? We submit to authority. God wants us to submit to authority as long as we're not being asked to sin against God. And you find that all throughout the Bible. It's very consistent all throughout Scripture. But here you've got a man who's bringing rebellion against a legitimate leader. David was actually ordained as king. And listen, no leader is going to be perfect. All leaders are going to make mistakes. All leaders are going to be wrong from time to time. But it is our job. And listen to me. Rebellion always comes. And a spirit of rebellion always comes from a demonic influence if you are rebelling against legitimate leadership. I want to make sure you understand that, okay? I'm not talking about someone's asking you to do something wrong or your boss is asking you to lie about something. Hey, if they're asking you to lie or to sin, you don't obey that. That's not legitimate. That's not rebelling. That's just you're obeying the higher authority of God. But whenever you have a legitimate authority and they're asking you to do something, maybe you don't agree with it, maybe you don't like it, but it's within their authority and you want to rebel, that is an influence that comes from the devil. That is an influence that comes from the devils or the demons. It was the son of Belial that caused the insurrection and said, no, let's not follow. And you'll see this throughout scripture. You're there in 1 Samuel. Look at chapter 10 and verse 24. Remember when they got their first king? Who was their first king? Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Look at verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 10, 24. And Samuel, now Samuel was the authority at that time. He was a prophet and the priest. He was the judge. He was the leader. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him, talking about Saul, whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. There's a, there's a transition of power here. It's going from Samuel to Saul. It's going from a prophet and a judge to their first king. And here Samuel says, hey, you've seen the guy that God has chosen. Saul was a legitimate leader chosen by God, anointed by Samuel the priest. And everybody said, God save the king. They were willing to submit. They were willing to, to, to have him as the authority. Look at verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Verse 25 is telling us, Samuel basically explained to him, here's how it's going to work from now on. Here's how the government's going to be from now on. He explained to him the manner of the kingdom, and they all uh, listened to it. Then he sends them all away. But notice who causes the problem, verse 26. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But, verse 27, the children of Belial, do you see that? The children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him. Despised who? Saul. And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. They saw Saul as the, Samuel just said, God chose him. Samuel just gave him the authority. Samuel just said, this from now on, from here on, he's your legitimate authority. God has chosen. However, they got to that monarchy. Wasn't really God's plan, but God adopted and said, fine, we're going to go that way. He chose Saul and everyone said, God save the king. And who were the ones who were just saying, no, let's not, let's not, let's rebel against authority. The children of Belial. See, rebellion, rebellion comes from a demonic influence. Uh, go to 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse 23. 1 Samuel 14, 15, verse 23. Later on, we see Saul himself rebel against the authority that he had, which was God. 
And by the way, all government should be under the authority of God. They should follow the authority of God. I, I'm not saying they do. I'm saying they should. God never ordained for us to glorify human government as if it's some sort of a deity. They should be accountable to God and the word of God. Now, unfortunately, we don't live in that society, but that's how it should be. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. When Saul was rebelling against God, the prophet Samuel comes, and notice what he says to him. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. Do you see that? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I always thought to myself, like, that's kind of an interesting statement to make. I don't think I would have made that statement. I would have said for rebelling is, you know, I don't know, really bad. <laughs> you know, I would have said for rebellion is not good. I would have said for rebellion is going to destroy you. But he says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. And you say, well, what does rebellion have to do with witchcraft? Well, when you connect these dots, that witchcraft in the Bible is allowing the devils or uh, unclean spirits or, you know, uh, demons, if you will, to be able to come into you and to give you their abilities. I mean, you study witchcraft, sorcery, wizards in the Bible. It's all connected. The occult. It, I preached a sermon on that. I think sometime last year you can look that up. All of that is connected to these devils and to Satan himself. And we've seen that the children of Belial are always the ones that are pushing rebellion. So Samuel said, Saul is the king. They said, we will not rebel. David comes back as a legitimate king. They said, we will not rebel. So it's, it, it makes sense that Samuel would, said, would say, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Because it's connected to demons. It's connected to devils. It's connected to Satan. See, rebellion comes from a demonic influence. And I want you to understand this. Uh, uh, go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse number 21. If you kept your place in Matthew, first book in the New Testament, it should be fairly easy to find. Matthew 16, verse 21. Now, we believe that Christians cannot be possessed by devils. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And though Christians cannot be possessed by devils, Christians can be influenced by devils. Let me show you that. Or by Satan. Matthew 16, verse 21. I know you know these verses. Let's look at them quickly. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the authority in the ministry of Jesus? Obviously, it's Jesus. And Jesus got his marching orders from who? God the Father. Okay, Jesus said, I came to do the will of the Father. He said, I'm here to do the work of the Father. He said, I'm doing what the Father has asked me to do. Now Jesus lets them in on the plan. He says, here's what we're going to do. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer many things of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes. And I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised again the third day. And he was explaining to them, this is the game plan. This is what God has ordained. This is what God wants done. This is what the leadership, the authority, has structured for the ministry of Christ. Look at verse 22. Then Peter took him. And began to rebuke him. What does that mean? He said, no, that's not right. No, we're not going to do that. Saying, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall, not, this shall not be unto thee. Now look, Peter's heart's in the right place. He doesn't want to see Jesus be crucified and killed. He doesn't want to see those things. But Peter at this point is communicating something that goes against the authority of God. God said, here's how it's going to be. And Peter says, no, we're not going to do it that way. What's he doing? Rebelling. 
Notice what Jesus said. Verse 23. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Beelzebub. Get thee behind me, Belial. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here's what I understand. Rebellion comes from a demonic influence. Whenever we rebel against the authority that God has given us, the will that God has given us, whether it's your parents, or whether it's your husband, or whether it's your employer, or whether it's God himself, that comes from an influence of Satan. And you say, well, I'm saved. I can't be possessed by him. But you can still be influenced. Peter was saved. And yet Jesus said, you are being influenced by Satan right now. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, you're an offense to me. And here's what you understand. Rebellion comes from demonic influence. Children, whenever you are rebelling against your parents, you are being used by the devil. Whenever you criticize your boss and rebel against your boss and talk bad about your boss at work, you are being used of the devil. You are being influenced by the devil. It is a demonic influence. You say, well, my boss doesn't know. Look, it, unless your boss is asking you to sin. Now, if, you, if you, know, you know, 13 pallets came in, and your boss wants you to write down that only 12 came in, because he's going to take some of that home, and he's asking you to lie, okay, you don't have to follow that authority. That's a sin. But if your boss is just saying, I want you to tuck your shirt in, and you're like, I'm not going to tuck it in, you are being influenced by the devil. Ladies, whenever you choose to not submit to your husband, your, your husband says, I want steak on Tuesday night, and you say, too bad, it's macaroni and cheese. You know, too bad, it's hamburger helper, whatever it is. You know, it, you are, that, you say, what's, is it that big of a deal? It's an influence. It's an influence of Satan. It is always, it is always the children of Belial that are bringing Rebellion. And I'm not saying that everyone that brings rebellion is, is possessed of the devil or is a reprobate, but they're being influenced by him. And we see that even with Peter when Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So number one, rebellion comes from a demonic influence. Number two, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 20. 2 Samuel chapter 20. Look at verse number four. 2 Samuel chapter 20 and verse four. I said, number one, rebellion comes from a demonic influence. Number two, rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. Rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. 2 Samuel 20, look at verse 4. Then said the king to Amasa. Remember, Amasa just became the general of the army. God, uh, not God. David has replaced Joab with Amasa. And we're going to talk about Joab next week. Then said the king to Amasa, Assemble me, the men of Judah, within three days. Okay, that's pretty fast to assemble an entire military group. And be thou here present. David says, I need this done quickly. I need it done fast. Here's what David understood. Rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. If you remember when Absalom came in and David had to fight Absalom, remember what David did was he sent in his spies to be able to give counsel to Absalom, to give him back counsel. What was the counsel they gave him? Remember Ahithophel said, let's go get him right now. And Hushai said, no, 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 let's wait. Because here's what they understood. The more time you have to prepare, the harder it's going to be to win. See, Ahithophel had given the right counsel, but of course God did not allow Absalom to take that counsel because God wanted, to, uh, wanted Absalom to lose. But the right counsel was you got to take care of it quickly. you got to deal with it fast. And David understands that. And he sees the rebellion of Sheba, and he says, we got to deal with this right now. we got to deal with this fast. He says, within three days be thou here present. Look at verse 5. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah. 
But he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. He was late. He took longer than three days. David said, I want you here in three days with the military. We're going to go take care of Sheba because rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. And three days come, and three days go, and there's no Amasa. And he's not there at the appointed time. Look at verse 6. And David said to Abishai, Now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants. All right? Because remember, they were waiting for the army of Judah. They were bringing for, for the men of Judah. And Amasa was supposed to bring him, but he was late. So David says to take the Lord's servants. Who are those? Those are the 600. Remember he had the 600 men that were with him? The 600 men that followed him when he ran from Jerusalem. The, 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 the mighty men and the Carathites and the Pelathites. Those 600 men are, are David's basically private army, his private bodyguards. And, and, and here he tells Abishai, uh, take thou thy Lord's uh, servants and pursue after him lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. There in verse number 6. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. We don't have time to wait. He says, this rebellion needs to be dealt with right now. I told him to be here in three days. He's not here, so we just got to go without him. You just got I know we were waiting for the thousands of men of Judah, but let's just take the 600 men we got because we have to deal with rebellion immediately. Notice verse 7. And there went out after him. Joab's men, and the Carathites, and the Pelathites, and all the mighty men, and they, these are the Lord's servants, the 600, went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel. Go to Proverbs real quickly. Proverbs chapter number 22. You got 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. When you get to Proverbs, keep your place there. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Proverbs because we're going to leave it and we're going to come right back to it. Proverbs chapter 22, look at verse number 15. Rebellion comes from a demonic influence, but number two, rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. Rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. And let me just apply this to the home. Proverbs 22 and verse 15, the Bible says this, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, okay? All children are going to be foolish from time to time. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The rod of correction is talking about what you and I would call a spanking. All right? It's talking about taking a rod and inflicting pain upon a child in order to drive the foolishness from him. Now, we're not talking about injuring a child. We're not talking about, you know, uh, beating up a child. I don't, I don't think you should ever hit a child with a closed fist. I don't think you should ever hit them on the face, you know. About, but the Bible does talk about taking a rod and, and, and hitting them with it or spanking them with it, you know, and you can do it on their backside uh, without injuring them, but bringing enough uh, pain upon them so that they would not want to do whatever it is that they, you know, that you don't want them to do. You said, don't eat the cookie, and they ate the cookie, unless there is some reason that motivates them to want to listen next time. They're not going to listen unless you can inflict enough pain for them to think next time it's not worth the cookie. You understand? That's, that's, what, that's what he's talking about. Go to Proverbs 23. Look at verse 13. Proverbs 23. Look at verse 13. I want you to notice how, I want you to notice how rebellion is connected to the devil, how rebellion is connected to Satan. Proverbs 23 and verse 13. Withhold not correction from a child. 
For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Now, again, we're not talking about injuring children. He's talking about you need to beat him in a way where they're not going to die, okay? They're not going to get injured. That's not what we're talking about. Look at verse 14. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from where? Hell. See how rebellion is connected to the devil? So how does hell connect rebellion to the devil? Because the Bible tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. They're supposed to go to hell because of their rebellion, but because of our rebellion, the wages of sin is death, and the second death is connected to that. And here God says, if you don't learn to get rebellion out of your child, they might just end up where the devil's going to end up, where Beelzebub's going to end up, where Belial's going to end up, in hell. Go to Proverbs 13, look at verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you've got to deal with it immediately. You've got to deal with it swiftly. You've got to deal with it quickly. Proverbs 13 and verse 24, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 13 and verse 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. That's what the Bible says. If you are not willing to spank your children, to discipline your children, the biblical term that God uses is to beat your children. I know that has a negative connotation in our culture, but that's the wording that God uses. He says, he that spareth his rod hateth the son, but he that loveth him, if you love your son, if you love your daughter, he that loveth them, chasteneth them. I want you to notice this word, betimes. You see that word betimes there? That word means immediately. It means quickly, swiftly. See, with your children, they're going to have rebellion. They're going, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. But rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. And here's the application I want to make for parents. What I've noticed among good, independent, fundamental Baptist Christian parents that love the Lord and love the King James Bible and believe in spanking and all that, what I've noticed is usually the biggest failure they have with disciplining their children is that they will spank, but they will use a spanking as a last resort. It's like, it's like if it's really bad, you're going to make me have to spank you, you know? So when the children are acting like the devil, when they're rebelling and they're not acting right, they will scream, they will yell, they will throw things, they will cuss, you know, they will whatever you do at home. And it's like, you know, the, chi- you know, the child hits you in the face, don't do that, hits you again, please don't do that, hits you a third time, I'm going to have to spank you, hits you a fourth time, You're really, I'm really going to spank you, you know, and eventually it's like, oh, fine, you know, and then you spank them. But here's the problem with that. Rebellion has to be dealt with immediately. Amen. It shouldn't be like this last resort, just, oh, you know, if it's the worst thing, if you just aren't listening. No, listen to me. The best thing you could do with your, with your children is just to be on a hair trigger to spank them. <laughs> I know the kids don't want to hear that. But the best thing you could do for the rebellion of your children is just to let that be the first, the first thing you do. It's not like after I've yelled and got all mad. No, they rebelled. You said don't eat the cookie. They ate the cookie. Just walk up to them. You don't have to get upset. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to just walk up to them, take that child and spank them immediately. And you know what I've noticed in my own life is that, and you may be able to connect your, your, yourself with this, those of you that have children, is that sometimes my children, you know, they'll get the, the influence of the devil on them. Especially one, you know, that I've got. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's just like they're bad, and it's like we do this and do that. And, they're not listening. and you know what I've noticed? As soon as we spank him, it's like, it's like we cast out the devil. I mean, as soon as we spank him, it's like, you know, you think they cry for a little while, then what do they want to do? Hug you, cuddle with you. It actually makes them love you more, you know? Then they're like, their attitude is just fixed. It's just good. And I always think to myself, like, why don't I just do that first? 
I just like, you know, stress myself out for the last three hours trying to get these children to be good. If I just spank them the first time, and that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what David's trying to do. He says, we got to deal with this right now. Because here's what David understood. Rebellion comes from a demonic influence, and rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. So don't wait. Don't look. You ought to be, especially if you have children that are like seven, six years old and under, you need to be spanking them every day. I don't understand this idea where you, you, if you've got a three-year-old, they, they need to be getting a spanking every day. If you've got a two-year-old, they need to be getting a spanking every day. You know, they need to be getting multiple spankings every day. I mean, just immediately train them. And listen to me. If you can beat the rebellion out of them when they're five, it'll make it a lot easier when they're 15. When they're three, it'll make it a lot easier when they're 13. When they're whatever age, if you can deal with it quickly. But here's, you, don't, you want to know why parents don't do it? You want to know why I don't do it? It's because it's work. Because it's easier to yell. Because it's easier to throw a shoe. I don't throw shoes, okay? I'm, I'm just saying, some of you, your kids have told me. No, I'm just saying, you know, but, but, you know, it's just easier to not spank sometimes. Because spanking is work. But listen to me. Rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. So we saw number one. Rebellion comes from demonic influence. We saw number two. Rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to skip verses 8 through 14 because we're going to deal with that next week in the life of Joab sermon. But look at verse 15. 2 Samuel 20 verse 15. And they, this is Joab and the Lord's, the, the, the 600 men that are with him. And they came and besieged him. Okay, that's Sheba. Besiege is the act or process of surrounding or attacking a fortified place in such a way as to isolate it from help and supplies. So when you besiege a city, you basically uh, surround it, and not, you don't allow anything to come in, and you don't allow anything to go out, and eventually the food in the city runs out, and the people start starving, and they start um, wanting to get out, and that's how you take over a place. That's what they used to do. That's what they're doing in this town where Sheba ran, they came and besieged him in Abel of Bethmeaca, and they cast up a bank against the city, and it stood in the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Look at verse number 16. Then cried a wise woman. I want you to notice the Bible here. She's not called a wise woman by Joab or David or Sheba. She's not called a wise woman by a character in the story. She's called a wise woman by the narrator, whoever it is that's writing this book, which is not, second, it's not Samuel. Samuel's already dead. I think it's probably one of the other prophets, Nathan or uh, one of the other prophets. But um, whoever, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is writing the scripture here, that person, and really it's the Holy Spirit working through them. The Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost calls this woman a wise woman. That's very important because I want you to know, because when you see what this woman does, you might think like, whoa. But God calls her a wise woman because what she does is the right thing. Notice what she does. Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither that I may speak with thee. So she calls out and says, Joab, I want to talk to you. Verse 17. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And uh, he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, saying, They were wont to speak in old times, saying, They shall surely ask counsel to Abel. So they uh, ended the matter. Notice verse 19. She says, I, notice what she said. I am one of them that are peaceable. 
She said, I'm not, I'm not a, a warmonger. She said, I'm not for, here's what she's saying. I wasn't for the war of Absalom, and I'm not for the war that she was trying to start. She said, I am one that, are, I am of them that are peaceable. And not only am I peaceable, and I'm faithful. She says, I'm faithful. She's trying to tell him, I'm not for the rebellion of Absalom. I wasn't for the rebellion of Absalom. I wasn't for the rebellion of Sheba. I am, uh, I am them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it, far be it from me, that I shall swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so. But a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, hath lifted up his hand against the king. That's what the children of Belial always do. That's what the spirit of Belial always does. It's rebellion. Even against David, deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. That's interesting, right? Better than whatever movie you've been watching. Read verse 22. And the woman went unto all the people. Now don't miss this. In her wisdom. Do you see that? God is approving of what this woman's going to do. And the woman went unto all the people in her wisdom. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew the trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto the king. See, this wise woman knew something. God tells us she was a wise woman. What did she know? She knew this, that rebellion needs to be done away with indiscriminately. When you identify rebellion, no matter who it is, it needs to be done away with indiscriminately. It needs to just be, it needs to be, you can't mess with it. Rebellion is not something you can bring someone back from. I mean, if, if you can, that's great. But here in this case, she said, because here's what she's looking at. This entire city is going to die. This entire city is going to die a horrible death. The Bible describes other cities that have been besieged in other parts of Scripture at other times. And you've got people eating the dung of animals. You've got people eating their own children. When people are starving to death, they do horrific things. And this wise woman understood it's better for us to cut off the head of this rebellious son of Belial than for all of us to suffer the consequences. And, and, and God approves of it by calling her a wise woman and calling her what she did wise. And here's what she understood. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what they're up to. It doesn't, she understood that Sheba had uh, a family and Sheba had a mom and Sheba had a dad and Sheba had people that were going to uh, miss him and maybe he even had a wife. And, you know, uh, the sons of Belial in Judges 19 were the Sodomites. Maybe he had a sodomite partner or whatever. And, you know, she understood there's people that are going to miss him. But she said it's worth cutting his head off. Why? Because of his rebellion. See, rebellion comes from a demonic influence. And rebellion needs to be dealt with immediately. But rebellion needs to be done away with indiscriminately. Can you make your way back to Proverbs? Proverbs 22. Look at verse number 10. Proverbs 22, verse 10. Here's what I'm trying to say. A little leaven leaven at the whole lump. You cannot allow rebellion. Listen, mom, listen, dad. If you've got however many children and one of them has an attitude of rebellion... You need to focus on that child and get that rebellion out because it will spread. Here's what they understood. Rebellion will spread. Rebellion will spread. And it needs to be dealt with immediately and it needs to be done away with indiscriminately. And, and uh, Proverbs 22, look at verse 10. The Bible says this, cast out the scorner. Now, what's a scorner? What's it mean to scorn? It means to have contempt or disdain. 
to ridicule, to mock. It's a form of rebellion. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. See, Sheba walks into town scorning about David, mocking David, disdaining David, having contempt of David. And here's what the wise woman knew. If we cast out the scorner, or at least cast out his head, the contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Here's what they understood. Rebellion needs to be done away with indiscriminately. And I've tried to follow this in our ministry. In our ministry, listen to me. Listen to me very carefully, especially those of you that are men. You want to be pastors or you want to be leaders sometimes. Okay? The last thing you want is for pastor men is to find out that you are uh, bringing rebellion into our church. That your wife's running around telling other ladies how she doesn't like what my wife is doing or what I'm doing or what, whatever. Or you're going around and saying, well, you know, if I was a pastor and pastor was smarter, pastor this. Listen to me. Because here's what I found out. I just deal with it indiscriminately. I just spiritually cut the head off of that guy and throw him out. And you say, well, I, have, I bring in a lot of money to this church. I don't really care. Well, I, I, I have a lot of influence. It doesn't really matter to me. Well, I, well, you know, you have me in this position. We'll take you out. I mean, we just deal with it indiscriminately. I don't care. I, you say, well, I, I'm a big giver. I'm a big worker. I'm a big, I don't care what you do. Here's what I know. You've got to deal with rebellion indiscriminately. You got to deal with it. There's been people that I used to trust to preach her, and I brought them off the preaching circuit, and I don't let them preach or whatever. Because here's what I know. Rebellion will spread. Here's what I know. A little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. And I'm not mad at people. I just understand that you have to deal with it immediately, and you have to deal with it indiscriminately. And you can't sit there and say, the it's, it's, when it comes to leadership, the unforgivable sin is rebellion. I don't, think you, you need, I don't think loyalty is something that you have to preach at people. I don't get up here and say, you people need to be loyal to me, bless God. I don't, you look, if I, can't, if I don't have your loyalty, that, that's my fault. By the time you're preaching the loyalty sermon, you know, I mean, I think you should teach loyalty from the Bible. But by the time you're preaching that as a problem, you've already lost as a leader. You know, you need, and by the way, let me say this. You want to know the people that I lean on? You want to know the people that I try to put in leadership positions, the people that I ask to preach, or the people that I uh, help, you know, ask them to, I trust them with the church's finances or uh, leadership positions? You, you say, well, I don't, I don't think it's right for you to say it, but I'll just tell you, I don't really care how smart they are. I don't really care how educated they are. I don't really care how much money they have, but I do care about one thing. How loyal are they? And look at the guys that I lean on a lot, and you know what you'll find? Men that I trust, men that are loyal. Because when it comes to leadership, the number one thing, the number one thing that you need is loyalty. And you can't put that into people. You just have to identify it in people. And when you identify the opposite, I don't, like, yell at them or kick them out. I just, I just in my own mind, take a step back from them. Steve. In my own mind, I just cut their head off and throw it out the window. <laughs> what? I say, well, you don't understand. They, they, they bring a lot of money. You understand, they bring in a lot, they do this and they do that, and everybody looks up to them. It doesn't matter. You deal with it indiscriminately. You cut the head off and realize that it is better, it is better to get rid of the rebellion than to try to, to bring the rebellion person back in. I mean, if, if, if some German would have just taken a bullet and put it in Hitler's head, millions of people wouldn't have had to fought World War II. And you say, well, I don't think you should say that. I'm just telling you, it's just, it's just the truth. The wise woman, that's what she understood. You have to deal with rebellion indiscriminately. Why? Because it comes from a demonic influence. Because it has to be dealt with immediately. Now, next week, we're going to look at Joab in the story. Because Joab does some pretty horrific things in this chapter. And we'll look at the life of, of, of uh, 
of joy. But here's what I want to end with. I want you to, I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge myself to identify rebellion in your own life. What part, where in your life are you rebelling? Now, for children, it may be your parents. For adults, it's probably not going to be your parents. It may be an employer. It may be your husband. It may be your pastor. I don't know. But here's the thing. I know all of us from time to time deal with rebellion towards God. Well, we know what God wants us to do. We know what the Bible wants us to do. We know what's expected of us, and we rebel against God, and we rebel against God, and we rebel against God. And I just want you to know that does not come from a spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. That comes from a spirit of the devil. And we, like Jesus, need to learn to identify it and say, get thee behind me, Satan, because you're going to offend me. Not offend me like you hurt my feelings. Offend me like you're going to trip me up. You're going to cause me to stumble. You're going to keep me. Here's what Jesus knew. Peter, if I listen to you, you're going to keep me from fulfilling the purpose that God has for me, which for Jesus was to die on the cross. And in your life and in my life and in your uh, business or family and in this ministry, we have to understand that rebellion will offend us. It will stumble us. It will keep us from completing the work that God has for us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.